Welcome to Mindaholic. I'm your host, Jess. Thank you for tuning in. And we're back again. Welcome back, you Mindaholics. I'm glad you guys are tuning in one more time. Thank you to everyone who did um, listen to the first episode. I really appreciate it. A lot of you did say that you liked it, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. I really appreciate it, like for real. I really got a lot of good feedback. Also, a little bit of constructive criticism, which is still appreciated. But quick disclaimer, so I made this podcast not with the intent to be an educator or whatever. I made this podcast kind of like with the intent or the mind frame of sharing information that I'm learning as I record. Therefore, it's not like, hey, I'm a brainiac. Let me share you with you what I already know. No, it's not like that at all. Just pointing it out real quick because I didn't want it to be taken as, oh, it's a, it, an educative podcast. No, <laughs> not at all. I pretty much want to keep it at a, hey, guys, guess what I just found out or guess what I just read into. I read a lot of books and I watch a lot of interesting documentaries enough to spark my interest in something that I do a lot of research on it. And then I share it with y'all. Oh my gosh. I don't know if y'all heard that. My throat was doing like that weird demon sound that it does sometimes. Or it like squirms from the inside and it sounds all demonic. Yeah, hopefully y'all didn't catch on to that because that was scary. I am not a demon, I swear. Teehee. Alright, let's focus. Now for this next episode, I definitely wanted it to be a little bit risque. How they say but really cool at the same time um it's on drugs drugs psychedelics to be exact which i think are fascinating if you really do your research on them and just watch like documentaries or videos on anything that has to do with psychedelics and people who have done psychedelics and all sorts of stuff like that Now, I'm not promoting for anyone to go out there and use these drugs. I'm just saying this is what I've been interested in. I found out some information about it. Here you go. Also, keep an open mind when it comes to drugs. I will be speaking of some of my experiences with some of these. Not that I've done them all, but I feel like Life is full of curiosity. Why not experiment? Or why not try it and have that experience and carry it with you? Therefore, when someone talks to you about these things, you know whether they are speaking of facts or, you know, just a biased opinion on their part. Instead of, hey, did you even try them? Do you even know what you're talking about? You know what I mean? Alright, so now I'm literally sitting here with four and a half pages worth of writing of all the research that I did 
on each one that I will speak of and of the organization that I dove into, which I think is amazing what they're doing. Okay, so basically, all these psychedelic drugs that I researched and a lot of organizations, but there's one specific one that I researched on that I dove into, but in a lot of organizations, they are now being used um, for psychotherapy. Now, what is psychotherapy? Well, it says it in the name. It's pretty much therapy that is, it, it uses psychological methods um, in order to kind of like dive into the patient's mind or figure out their habits or what caused them to end up in that therapy setting where they need it. The only difference is the organizations I looked into do psychotherapy on patients, but they also include the psychedelic aspect of it. And what the psychedelics help do during these therapy sessions is the psychedelics pretty much rewire the brain. They rewire the brain and each psychedelic does its own thing in a different way. But they pretty much rewire the brain into probably learning a new way to deal with certain situations or trauma or, you know, PTSD, which is what they mainly focus on, at least the organization that I looked into. Now, the organization that I looked into is called MAPS, um, in abbreviations, M-A-P-S, MAPS, and what it stands for is Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, and they, um, they use a few different psychedelics for their psychotherapies. Um, they explore with MDMA, med medical marijuana, which is honestly now everywhere, LSD, ibogaine, which I'm going to get into that one because that one's very important and should be legal out here, but it's not. We also practice psychotherapy with ayahuasca and psilocybin, which just recently became legal in the state of Oregon and that is huge. I don't I don't think a lot of people understand just how big that is. That's big news. Now just a little recap on maps. They are a leading nonprofit organization that does psychedelic research. You know, they do the studies and it's been going on since 1986. So it's not new. It's not new. It's been around. Um, their motive is pretty much to create like safe, legal and beneficial opportunities using the psychedelics for these patients, mainly patients that suffer from PTSD, trauma, you know, just depression, anxiety, you name it, they they treat it. Let me just read to y'all really quickly a little note that I took down um, about pretty much how their studies have been working out. And it says one of the results showed that for majority of participants, the benefits extended at least 12 months after their psychotherapy sessions. Dude, that's a whole year. 
Um, it says also 56% of 100 participants no longer met diagnostic criteria of PTSD. That means they were no longer PTSD material after their psychotherapy with MAPS. Um, it says two months after their last session. So after two months, they were no longer PTSD material. Well, diagnose, diagnosis. Um, also says 12 months later, they interviewed all participants. Of these, 67% did not qualify for PTSD. 67%. So it, it, it increases with with time. It increases the amount of people that are no longer PTSD diagnosis um, patients. That's crazy. That it, They pretty much fully recovered from PTSD with psychotherapy using psychedelics. Just to give you an idea of how amazing these drugs can be if used correctly. Because that's that's one thing that I wanted to do this podcast on. I'm, first of all, I'm not promoting, hey, go do drugs. No, just hear me out. This is very informative. And I feel like society has painted drugs on us a certain way, which is completely wrong or misinformed is the big the big word that we should be using more often with drugs. In my opinion, everything used correctly can be beneficial. Everything, everything. If you think about it, everything in moderation is perfect. Now, you overdo something, it becomes a problem. People can become addicted to many things, not just drugs. Caffeine is a big one. Caffeine is a huge one. Now, not to classify caffeine the same as hey it's considered a drug no absolutely not but just an example as to you know things in moderation versus too much of one thing can be bad anyways back to maps and some of the substances that they do psychotherapy with number one being medical marijuana it's pretty much self-explanatory in the year 2021 You know, there's dispensaries out there available. It is slowly becoming more and more legal in many more states, which is awesome. Um, I'm pro-marijuana, obviously. Not only for recreational purposes, but medical marijuana does have its benefits. A big one, which I didn't really look into too much, but a big one that always stands out when I do watch documentaries on marijuana is epilepsy. And my, I have, my father is epileptic, and I remember when medical marijuana was in the works of becoming legal, I remember telling my dad, your doctor hasn't mentioned this because it's not legal yet. Do not be surprised if once it becomes legal, he says, hey, I want you to look into marijuana. Maybe think about it. I swear, I told that to my dad and he just, he kept an open mind. I mean, obviously, my dad, he's pretty traditional. He has an open mind, but he's pretty traditional to the point where he won't try it unless his doctor says, please try it. But I think even with the push of his doctor, he wouldn't try it. Just, you know, old school people will always be old school unless they are experimental enough to try it and actually be okay with it and say hey 
It's actually not that bad. I see where you're coming from. Now, another substance that um, MAPS works with for psychotherapy is MDMA. I'm going to try to say this, the actual name of it, pretty slow because it's a fucking long one. Methylenidioxymethamphetamine. Oh my God, my tongue just got so hurt. Um, MDMA. It's known in the streets as ecstasy, mainly in the party scenes, you know, taken recreationally by party goers, all that stuff. But MDMA actually has really good benefits to it as well. Now, for those who don't know or aren't familiar with MDMA or ecstasy, whatever you want to call it. So the some of the effects is altered sensations, correct? Increased energy, correct? Empathy, big correction, and pleasure, which is what people mostly know it for. The whole pleasure part and having it in a party and just your altered sensations, the music, the everything, everything. Now keep an open mind. I am going to talk about some of my experiences on here, MDMA being one of them, and those effects are all correct. Now, they say negative effects, and here's where my opinion comes in to counteract these two, because they say negative effects, grounding of teeth, yes, blurred vision, yes, especially the wiggly eyes, sweating, yes, rapid heartbeat, yes, if you don't calm yourself down or not stay hydrated. Now, here's the thing, and this is all based off, like, what I experienced with it. Um, yeah. So, MDMA, pure MDMA, and not a lot of people have come across it. It's pretty much crystals. It looks like little crystal forms. If you're into spirituality, the little crystal forms end up looking like clear quartz, straight up. Um... When it's not in pure form, it ends up being in a powder. And in the powder form is mainly known as molly out there. Now, the other form of it is in little pill forms, which is the ecstasy known worldwide in parties, raves, you name it, you know, concerts, all of that. That's what it's known as. That's what people think of when they hear the word ecstasy or mdma they think of the little pills but no so in my experience with pure mdma um at that point we called it molly because that's just you know no no one out there really calls it mdma no one's like hey i got some mdma none of that um so this molly that i had was crystal formed and the altered sensations, let me just explain it as best as I could so that everyone can understand it. Your senses are altered to the max, meaning your whatever you touch feels intensely, however it is, like if it's a fur rug, whatever, it feels to the max. Your sight, oh my gosh, seeing lasers... Uh, for example at a rave or concert all of that like witnessing your vision through molly is otherworldly to say the least 
you do end up having increased energy. Like you just want to party, party, party. This is why it's well known in the party scene because it is an amplifier. Pretty much that's what it is, an amplifier. It amplifies everything. Empathy, yes. You literally become so friendly on MDMA. You you just, you want to hug everyone. You want to be friends with everyone. You want to say hi to everyone. You're just at such a good, loving state all on your own. Well, not on your own, you're on MDMA. But it's just, it's awesome to, to feel and witness and experience and then the pleasure part of it, like everything just is nice. You're just at the most loving state, loving level that you can be on for the moment. Now, you're going to hear me say this a lot, but I'm not promoting for anyone to go out there and like just take these just because you heard it on a podcast. Like, do your research, please. I did my research before even experimenting or putting my hands on any substance ever also whenever I did try or experiment with anything I was never alone never ever ever alone I always made sure that I was with friends and that they knew or were aware just in case you always want to be safe too but um some of my best experiences with MDMA was with the pure MDMA. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, ecstasy and pretty much the street one that's sold out there in parties or whatever, whoever you get it from, blah, blah, blah. Now, these, the ecstasy one, because, well, everyone knows that they're, they tend to be mixed with other substances. It's not just pure MDMA. So with these, the, the ecstasy one, not the pure one, you tend to get more of the negative effects that they do list, you know, on just on like doctor websites and all that stuff, which is like the grinding of the teeth, enormous amounts of grinding of the teeth. It's, and it's annoying. You're aware of it and you, you try to stop yourself, but you just can't. It's like a nerve thing. The blurred vision I want to talk about, it's not blurred vision per se and I know a lot of people out there who have tried it will get this but you get the wiggly eyes it's eye wiggles that you get not blurred vision your eyes will literally wiggle as if they're shaking you know side to side I don't know why sweating that's obvious I mean you're taking a substance that pretty much speeds up your energy levels you're bound to sweat that's just a given rapid heartbeat goes with it you know, again, you're taking something that's altering your senses, giving you energy. You know, it's it's bound to come with the territory. Now, even before I was at the age where I started experimenting, I remember being young, probably below 10 years old, and seeing commercials on like, I don't know if y'all remember, the D.A.R.E. commercials, the, you know, do not do drugs commercials. Um, and them just putting out there a representation of drugs, it was so false, so false. 
I've always been the why kid, the why kid that explores or just is very curious. You know, and my mom could never tell me, no, don't do this or don't touch this. Because in the back of my mind, I would always have that why. That why did she tell me not to do that? Why did she tell me not to touch this? Let's find out. <laughs> that got me into so much trouble growing up. But I feel like my character has kept that part of me, that curiosity. I don't think I'll ever not be curious about anything in life, ever. And I like that now. Obviously, I approach things a little bit more different than what I did when I was little. I'm not just going to go and be reckless and, you know, go for it. Now I research. Now I think about it. I still do it, but I think about it. You know, I give it time. But anyways, back to the MDMA. So I remember watching these commercials of them trying to describe or just pretty much false information you know feed the public their biased opinion on drugs obviously to try to stop people from using them um but they were just so far-fetched it would be like a girl sweating at a party and like hyperventilating and the slow-mo of the camera and then they show her like at a hospital and she passed away because she did drugs oh my god talk about dramatic now i'm not saying that any of that stuff can't happen yes you know people do overdose it is real if mishandled if misused if done too much or done too much of it can be fatal it can even if it doesn't kill you it can fuck you up mentally to the point where you know there's no going back so again this is why I did my research before stepping into the action of experimenting with it like I remember doing my research and just really focusing on what could go wrong and I remember that it was repeating descriptions of, all right, if if done too much or if overdone, it can lead to addiction, memory loss, paranoia, difficulty sleeping, um, and death, obviously. But I always knew, hey, once I do try it, like I'm obviously going to take it slow, like not going to do too much like it's it's common sense honestly if you take a handful of anything it has the potential to kill you whether it's advil or fucking ecstasy it has the potential to kill you it's common sense basic common sense um i'm gonna move on to the next one that they do use for psychotherapy at maps um which is lsd and i know from watching documentaries lsd is given more for people who have been diagnosed with like life-threatening or life-ending you know diagnostics whether it's like cancer or tumors whatever you name it anything that can lead to death they treat more of those patients with LSD just to kind of like ease the idea of what is to come like dying <laughs> not to be insensitive but you know it's it's true now LSD 
the technical term for LSD, the name of it, the true name of it is lysergic acid diethylamide. That one's a little easier, not going to lie. Oh, MDMA one kills me, but that one's a little easier, um, which is a hallucinogenic. Now it says here that LSD alters your thoughts, your feelings, visual and auditory hallucinations, and awareness of one's surroundings, meaning it, it centers you, it brings awareness to what's going on around you while you're on LSD. I've never tried LSD. I'm a little scared of the whole seeing things. At least that's what I perceived it to be this whole time. Um, but I know people who have tried LSD and they just say that it's just you, you see life through different eyes. You just see things differently. It It's like, of course, this is from what they said, not me. Um, they said it's like seeing life through more happier eyes. I'm I'm pretty sure the ones who have had bad trips would not say that. They'd probably say the complete opposite. But this is the feedback that I've gotten from people who I know that have tried it. And I think it's pretty safe to say that it's, if they're using it to kind of like ease people to the idea of dying, how, you know, it can't be bad. If it's going to give you a different perspective on death, I mean, that sounds pretty happy to me. Now, some of the body effects that LSD cause are dilated pupils, increased body temperature, and increased blood pressure, which is expected. I mean, anything foreign you put into your body, I feel like it should have some type of effect. Not that it should. Nobody wants any type of effect. But if it is, obviously, look at how very little changes um, LSD can cause to your body, at least negatively. Um, which is awesome. Also, I wrote down a little note there that says LSD OD or overdoses are virtually unknown. However, death can be the result of accidents due to reckless behavior while on LSD. So LSD itself will not or has not caused any overdoses. Now, what happens is like, let's say. I don't know if y'all have heard, you know, uh, commercials or anything or, or just people going against the idea of people taking drugs. But when they say like, oh, they threw themselves out the window or no, that's just they either took too much and started seeing stuff and thought that jumping out the window would be a good idea or, you know, poor interactions with other people on it. I think that's more of an influence than LSD itself with every documentary that i've watched on drugs on hallucinogenics on psychedelics on anything period they always say this set and setting meaning you want to be in an environment or around people that you trust or an environment that you trust where you feel safe or you feel happy, you feel comfortable. Set and setting has always been a very important thing 
when it comes to people taking drugs either recreationally or psychotherapy like in psychotherapy they describe their rooms as they have comfortable beds and or sofas and what they do is they even give people blankets they lay them down they have two of the therapists there in the room while the person is under the influence of whichever drug they're going to be doing the psychotherapy on and they also blindfold them therefore they're in their more in their thoughts and just experiencing the whole thing instead of being distracted with the surroundings as well i don't think they would want to make the setting of the psychotherapy room for lsd anything but happy or relaxed very calm you know just for a good experience i wrote in my notes just as i said earlier lsd in psychotherapy is known for its ability to catalyze spiritual or mystical experiences to facilitate feelings of interconnection especially for people that are you know diagnosed with life-threatening diseases or conditions now what's interesting about lsd that i found out i mean i never dug into it too much because i was never gonna try it but lsd is a chemical from a fungus it's a chemical that they find in a fungus which is interesting to me because of course as a lot of psychedelics they come from a fungus for example magic mushrooms psilocybin it's a fungus that's pretty cool to me um lsd was first made in 1938 by albert hoffman which he believed it might be useful for mind control that's crazy now i'm gonna sidetrack a little just to talk about why um these drugs are being used in psychotherapy and not prescribed or used by a lot of main doctors they are not fda approved to be prescribed or you know handled by regular doctors they they're not approved these drugs these psychedelics these substances are schedule one drugs and schedule one means they have not they have no accepted medical use and high potential for abuse um which i guess i can see why they would classify it as that they don't have now when they say they don't have accepted medical use that means they have yet to prove like they don't have the in they don't have enough documents that state hey we used this these were the results they were great bam like okay now they can get approved they don't have that yet but that's being in the works this is why maps and other organizations that do psychotherapy are pushing for it and honestly they're pretty close they're pretty close to coming through with hopefully an approval to do this more and and you'll be able to see this more everywhere again just look at how oregon within this past year uh legalized psilocybin aka magic mushrooms 
Psilocybin is legal in Oregon, the state of Oregon. Major breakthrough. I remember hearing that news when the whole election was going on, and I was just so excited for Oregon. So excited. This is a huge step. Huge step for mankind. Anyways, so Schedule 1 drugs, they have no accepted medical use or medical, you know, records, but high potential for abuse. Now, there's Schedule 2, which they do have accepted medical use um, under medical supervision and still have high potential for abuse. And that I also understand because it makes sense when once you see the list of schedule one drugs and the list of schedule two drugs it, it makes sense like schedule one drugs for example it's MDMA DMT psilocybin LSD and heroin which I'm thinking how the hell did heroin get it like how did it get into the psychedelics list but anyways and then there are schedule two drugs which keep in mind they can be, they do have medical use, they can be used under medical supervision, but they still have the potential of abuse, of drug abuse, which are amphetamine, aka Adderall. Adderall is another one that I've tried, and maybe because when I was younger, I was diagnosed with ADHD, and my mom never accepted the doctors to prescribe me anything because she just, you know, parents are against all that stuff. They're like, no, I don't want it to be, have my child become zombie. Like, so Adderall and amphetamines, morphines are a class two, schedule two um, drugs, hydrocodone, fentanyl, oxycodone, meth, and cocaine. Like how... <laughs> Alright, sorry, but how the hell is cocaine a Schedule 2 drug? And meth! Who the, what the? No, 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 no. That's wrong. That has to be wrong. Meth, a Schedule 2 drug. It should be Schedule 1. Cocaine? Uh, hello? What's the, what's the potential that cocaine has medically? where a doctor could prescribe it to you. You will never see a doctor prescribe to you cocaine. Like, hey, here you go. Just do a few lines. You'll be straight. No! I swear you start doing a little bit of research and this is how you discover just how messed up sometimes our system can be. How... <laughs> I've no, I'm at a loss for words. Like, how can cocaine be potentially used under medical supervision knowing that it's a it's it can be abused it's cocaine cocaine oh my god i think those classifications of schedule one drugs and schedule two drugs need to be redone all over again they got a few that belong in the other side now the next one is psilocybin which everyone knows by magic mushrooms they're alkaloid hallucinogenic mushrooms um and I kind of want to fly through this one the same way I did with medical marijuana because I mean who, who doesn't know about magical mushrooms or shrooms as they would say um only because psilocybin has a very similar um molecular structure as DMT um and ayahuasca Funny thing is, all of those three are alkaloid 
molecular compounds. Psilocybin is probably right up there in the list of being used for psychotherapy. That was probably top tier, honestly, for these therapists to be using on their patients who have either PTSD, depression, anxiety, you name it, they try it. But psilocybin is always their main go-to. But of course, with these psychotherapy places, um, they like to keep their options. You know, they like to have a lot of options depending on what the patients come in with. You know, it could be a patient with depression or anxiety, PTSD, um, as well as a patient who comes in and they're trying to fight addiction, you know, like drug addiction. So I can see why they would have a, a list of things that they could use alongside um, psychotherapy. Now, speaking of addiction, I want to talk about another one that they do use for psychotherapy, which is ibogaine. And I just learned about this one. Um... And I'll talk about ayahuasca next. But ayahuasca, everyone knows of ayahuasca. If not, I'm pretty sure you've heard of people talking about it. It's this natural brew that they do in South America, which contains DMT. Back to DMT. It keeps popping up. Um, so ayahuasca contains DMT. It's... Probably like the most natural hallucinogenic, I guess, that you can classify it as that. But anyways, ibogaine is probably the twin sister of ayahuasca. Its, it's origin is from West Africa, and they also use it for religious purposes or spiritual purposes. Um, but ibogaine is a, another psychoactive alkaloid but it happens naturally it comes naturally from a shrub tree in west africa iboga that's that's the name of the tree or the shrub iboga um it's a stimulant but only if it's taken in small doses now in larger doses that's when it becomes a hallucinogenic it um and it says that they have noticed that it induces profound psychedelic state. Again, kind of like LSD, psilocybin. The only thing is this one, as well as ayahuasca, is mainly used in healing ceremonies. Um, and it's led by religious uh, group members. To me, it just sounds so similar to ayahuasca that it's pretty cool that it would... Both of them would come from the earth. Um, ibogaine is mainly used, though, for people f trying to fight addiction, drug addiction. It was reported that people with substance abuse um, addiction or problems, they found that larger doses of ibogaine significantly reduced their withdrawal symptoms and temporarily reduced the cravings that to me sounds like the most natural detox that you can do to fight off drug addiction it hasn't been fda approved in the u.s 
and it is classified as schedule one drug, but only because um, so far with research, they haven't had many participants to really have all the results that they would want to prove that it is okay to be used in the U.S. for other than psychotherapy. And a lot of the psychotherapy that's being conducted, I want to say it isn't even in the U.S. It's more places like Brazil, West Africa, South America. So we might not even hear about this drug for a while unless they do have enough participants to have the results that they would need to prove to the FDA that it can be um, regulated or, you know, approved. Listen to me contradicting myself saying I didn't want to be anywhere near like an educator or anything like that. But here I am doing that. (laughs) Honestly, I'm learning as I record too. I did do so many days of research and just to take down notes and write it down. But I've, I've learned while I share my original plan for this episode was going to be like, ooh, let's tap into drugs, but I'll share my stories. Turns out I haven't even had much experience as what I thought. You know, I thought I was like, ooh, teetering the line of like, wow, you're very adventurous. Uh, apparently not. Now let's keep going along the lines of natural um, substances that come from the earth that are being used to psychotherapy. Ayahuasca. Ayahuasca. Um, it's getting pretty known out there now. Word is getting around about ayahuasca. I remember hearing about it from a friend of mine going to a place and doing ayahuasca and then just hearing his story when he experienced it and came back um which was pretty interesting to listen to every documentary that i've witnessed on ayahuasca and every person's experience has been similar not that everyone has the same experience but they have been similar to the sense that it brings you closer to nature it gives you a different perspective on life on your life on your vision of your own life and just a different outlook on what you have been how you've been a part of earth have been a part of life and you know just shedding your ego and being more of a spiritual person after that now what is ayahuasca ayahuasca is a brew like a tea that they create among the indigenous people of South America. Now the brew of tea consists of different vines, leaves, and it contains DMT, which I'm more than positive that the DMT would come from the leaves itself or the vines. It's it's pretty much a combination of all these things. Here's something cool, the name ayahuasca broken down. Aya to them means spirit, soul, or a corpse, like a dead body. And waska means rope or a woody vine. So it pretty much translates to the the vine of spirit or the rope or, you know, the, the plant of spirit. Now, ayahuasca, I want to say, came more known in the U.S., 
because of the McKenna brothers. I don't know if you guys have heard of the McKenna brothers, but one being an ethnobotanist and the other one being an ethnopharmacologist. Both were like authors and just advocates for the use of ayahuasca and or any other psychedelic. They would go out and research and experience the ayahuasca down in South America and just, you know, write down their experiences and come in, come back to the U.S. and just write about their experiences. They were pretty much advocates for it, which is cool. Anyway, so these ceremonies that go down has to be led by a shaman. Shamans are very, very, very experienced with ayahuasca and all of that. They, they conduct the ceremony. So what happens is they brew the tea, takes about a day, works overnight, then on the next day. But they, so from what my friend did say, they do detox you at first. You know, you, you're there for a few days before, then you do the ayahuasca overnight. And I always find it curious, like why overnight though? Um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that during nighttime hours uh, spirits are more prone to be active for lack of a better word one thing shamans definitely recommend is they do not recommend consuming ayahuasca unless the the people are in the presence of a shaman now i've seen it happen in videos where the people end up either going too far into the experience where you can tell they're just bothered and the shaman is always there to chant their way out or help them to overcome whatever their experience is showing them. One documentary that I remember watching that I recommend everyone to watch, I don't know if it's still on Netflix or not, it's called The Last Shaman. It's about this guy and he's from Massachusetts originally which was even more cool about it um and he's just been dealing with a lot of depression and just trying to find himself he was suicidal for a while at least from the doc from what the documentary says but he goes and decides to go to south america as his last resort he didn't know what else to do and meet teams up with this shaman and does the most intense ritual of detoxing himself his body his mind pretty much his whole being from everything he's been and because of ayahuasca just went through the whole ritual and it's crazy to see him from beginning to end it's as if two different people he legit had a rebirth on the documentary please go watch it and you'll know exactly what I mean by it. And he also says in the documentary of some good key points where he says, you know, we think what we're taught and what we grow up knowing is the end all be all. And it's not, you know, all these materialistic things, all these accomplishments, these goals, the standards that you're your parents set up for you or what society builds up you what wants you to be 
is completely false everything is false i won't ramble about it too much because i want y'all to go watch it i really recommend it again it's called the last shaman i watched it on netflix maybe you can find it somewhere else if netflix does not have it anymore now this next one i left last specifically because it has caught my attention the most and i am currently within the proximities of having it i actually have it with me i i am in possession of it but dmt i left it last because i found it interesting that it's a part of psilocybin ayahuasca lsd um i left it last because there's just so much that goes into dmt that is just so freaking intriguing now this might end up being a a two-part thing only because because i have it i do want to experience it and i do want to share my experience i have not grown the balls to actually do it yet i have it it's with me but i keep chickening out i will grow the courage to do it and then tell y'all all about my experience with dmt now let's get into it dmt what is dmt the technical name for it is dimethyltryptamine what <laughs> dimethyltryptamine dimethyltryptamine there we go now what is it dmt is a chemical substance that occurs meaning it is within many plants and animals including humans dmt lives in our pineal gland where's our pineal gland inside of our brains i think this is why i was more prone to being okay with trying dmt if it's already in me i mean it can't kill me right knock on wood so dmt is a serotonergic psychedelic which means it's a psychedelic that exerts its effects through serotonergic receptors in our brains um let me break it down for you serotonergic means indicating that there's a sign of a nerve ending that releases and is stimulated by serotonin in our brains so what dmt does is it activates this nerve in our brains which gives off serotonins that's insane i'm gonna get all scientifical over here dmt they use it in therapy to reduce or get rid of depression it increases connectivity between different brain networks and increases synaptic plasticity so what it does is it pretty much rewires your brain I took a note here that says the DMT process serves to disintegrate and subsequently reintegrate pathways acting as a reset mechanism. Again, rewiring your brain. And the best way to put it into like a simple term is imagine your brain being a snow globe. What DMT does is it shakes up that snow globe and it pretty much disrupts whatever unhealthy patterns your brain has of thinking and it gives it the opportunity to like resettle restructuring itself into different ways where it becomes more of a positive and that is how it can help with depression now obviously i'm not going to experiment with dmt to cover any depression i don't think i have depression could be wrong who knows there's different levels to that shit um i'm more into it 
for the experience, obviously. Um, a lot of people have reported that they see entities, they see beings, they see the structure of life, they see, they just see everything in a little bit more euphoric state and kind of like out of the matrix per se. In other words, if you want to see life for what it really is instead of what we've been taught or raised to think of it as, this is it. This is the kind of like the truth. It reminds me of, you know, Neo about to take that that red or blue pill. It's pretty much it. It will show you life pretty much. Now I'm going to wrap up this episode with a cool quote that I came across while doing all my research, which I think it's 100% true. And it says prohibition and drug war culture manifests the very misuse and abuse that it pretends to be preventing. And this is very true. Um, the U.S. is known for being super regulated, you know, even with alcohol. Why do you have to be 21 to have a drink? yet be 18 to go off into war and be able to kill yourself that makes no sense to me it's never made sense to me anything with prohibition has never made sense to me in a sense that i can always relate to it in terms of i was always the why kid well why are you telling me not to touch something oh it's hot well let me find out for myself and this is how a lot of the human brains work you know you prohibit something it's going to want them it's going to make them want it more and I'm all for research and controlled experiences or controlled adventuring into these kind of things. Yes, of course, with regulations, you can't give someone too much of anything that's going to kill them. Anything in moderation is okay. Anything done out of moderation is not good anything even coffee even sometimes water you drink too much water you, your belly gets full you might throw it up you might pee for the rest of the day every two seconds all i'm saying is you know i feel like these these different outlooks on drugs or psychedelics needs to be broken down in a more positive way versus what they've been painted as to us i'm all for experimenting and experiencing you can't go on through life without knowing something for yourself like uh, I've always been the type of person that I hate when someone tells me something I get it you know opinion or advice two different things advice I might look into it but I also feel like I have to experience life all for myself I can't you can't really go by hey this is what these people have said that life is like we gotta go by what they say no they experience their own freaking version of life let me experience mine you know each one out there is living their own life maybe that's just the rebel in me talking anyways i'll stop rambling i will continue a part two be on the lookout for that um and yeah i hope y'all enjoyed this episode it was pretty fun. I could have spoken more about my experiences, but then I would have rambled on for like two hours and yeah, two hour long episodes. I feel like that's more for like when you have guests. 
But anyways, let's carry on. Thank you for listening, for tuning in. I'll see y'all on the next episode. You bunch of mindaholics. Thank you. Subscribe. You know the deal. You know the drill. All right. I'm out. Peace out, everyone. Love you.